Hey, welcome back to The Caption Life. I'm your co-host and TV slash film reviewer, Sean. And in this mini episode, I'm reviewing Hawkeye episode five entitled Ronin. So if you haven't watched this episode yet, press pause on this podcast episode, go watch it and then come back. Let's go. Welcome to The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society and vice versa. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. You can also find out more information and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. So episode five just dropped entitled Ronin, and this is the penultimate episode, meaning that we're going to have our final episode of the season next week. And I got to say, overall, this episode was great. It was really interesting because it has all the usual aspects of the episodes of Hawkeye that we've seen so far, like humor, action, drama, mystery, emotions, a lot of those things. But at the same time, this also felt a little bit more low key, but that's because this episode is really setting itself up to have all the pieces fall into place for the final episode of the season, which makes a lot of sense. So even though it's all those same aspects that we've seen, it seems a little less intense as the other episodes until we get to the end. We'll talk about that here in a second. So um, again, last reminder for spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen this episode yet, we will be talking about spoilers in this episode. So do not listen to this until you've seen episode five of Hawkeye. There's a warning. So let's go ahead and get into it. First of all, why did this episode seem so short? Like episode four felt really short as well. Um, but in my last review, you probably heard that, you know, I didn't think the episode was as strong as the other ones. But what I found interesting is that this one also seemed so short and I just wanted more of it. Right. And I just wanted to go right into episode six. And I always get surprised when we get to the credit scene because I was like, has it been 40 minutes already? And it just seemed like they go by so quick. So I think, you know, that's a good thing that Marvel has done is to leave you wanting more and make you feel like you did not get as much as you wanted here. Right. So let's just talk a little bit about just some of the things that I've noticed that I thought was really interesting that I really love in the episode. And then after that, I'll talk a little bit more about each character, what we know so far. And then we'll do some listener shout outs and then, you know, some final thoughts, questions and theories leading up to the final episode of the series. So first of all, we see Peach Dog again, and it seems like the only thing he is eating is pizza, which again, makes sense because he's called Pizza Dog. Um, and what I like is that Grills in this episode said that he was thinking for a name for the dog when he opens up the door for Clint. And so I think next episode, we're going to finally get his name. And I would be really surprised if they don't just call him Lucky because that's his name from the comics. I don't know what would be the motivation to change the name at all. Um, I can see him just keeping it as Pizza Dog or maybe they call it after, hope not, after like some sort of you know pizza chain or something like that to get some advertising. I don't think they'll do that necessarily, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the name here was also really interesting about this episode is in the scene where we see Kate and Yelena talking at Kate's apartment. Yelena was talking about all the things that she wants to see in New York. And one of those things she said is the new and improved Statue of Liberty. Now, if you didn't pick this up, 
We actually saw a glimpse of this in the previews and trailers for Spider-Man No Way Home that is coming out tomorrow, December 16th. And so I wonder how that comes into play. I don't know if it's just like a little shout out just to kind of say, you know, this is in the same world or the same city, things like that. Um, I find it very interesting overall because with Spider-Man No Way Home, we know that it actually takes place, you know, a little bit before, maybe at the same time as Hawkeye. And the reason why I'm saying that is because in Spider-Man Far From Home, we know it takes place six months after Endgame, right? In this movie, we see that it actually takes place a little bit later and that it's around Christmas and Halloween because we saw some clips of the trailer showing some Halloween decorations up and things like that. And we know that this series of Hawkeye also takes place during the same year, but around Christmas. So it seems like there's a little bit of overlap. And if you watch the trailer for Spider-Man, you know that they are putting on Captain America's shield on the Statue of Liberty, whether it's still the Statue of Liberty or if it's being replaced by Captain America, who knows? But because of all that we've seen in the previews, I'm wondering if Yelena is talking about the new improved Statue of Liberty from Captain America's shield being on it, or if something has happened in the Spider-Man No Way Home movie that they also have to replace that one as well, too. So it'll be really interesting. I think it was a nice little call out that they put in there to connect the two movies. And I'll, I'll be interested to see what else connects this show to Spider-Man No Way Home. And if we see if there's any overlap, because there's been a lot of speculation that Hawkeye and Spider-Man man might overlap with the two projects because of the timing of everything with Hawkeye ending next week and Spider-Man coming out this week. A lot of people are speculating if they actually uh, impact each other, especially with episode five coming out, what we know now, I think that just puts more fuel to the fire there. So moving on, one of the other scenes that I liked <laughs> about this episode is when you see Clint walking up to Grill's apartment, he looks all defeated. And in the background, you hear the song Christmas Time is Here from the Peanuts movies. And I just absolutely loved it because it works really well. Whoever is in charge of doing the music for the series has done a fantastic job because they carefully thought about the Christmas music and how they can use it to help tell the story. And again, one of my favorite ones is episode three when they used the Nutcracker song during the car chase scene. But this one was just great. And it's almost reminiscent of Arrested Development. I never really watched that show entirely, but there's a few episodes and clips that I've seen. I think there is one where uh, Michael Sarah like looks like Clint in this instance where he's walking with his head down, like looking all defeated. And I feel like it's very reminiscent of that. Um, so I just love how they include the Christmas music and help it tell the story. And it does such a good job with it. So Another scene that I want to point out is when we see Kate return to her penthouse with her mom and as she's back in her bedroom at the penthouse, there is a Hawkeye poster in the back as well as a magazine pullout of him that says hero worship, which I thought was really interesting because that's been pretty much the theme of this whole series, right? And not just the theme, but uh, one of many themes, but one of them has been Kate worshiping her hero. And I think, you know, at the end of the series, she's going to have less of that honeymoon phase and be more of, uh, of a matured viewpoint about being a hero, what it means to be partners with Clint. And so I thought it was really interesting how they've kind of put in some of those Easter eggs there as well, too. And then we get another shot in this scene where we see Kate's bulletin board on her wall. 
and we see an invitation to the Bishop Security Christmas Party that takes place December 24th, which for me confirms that the last episode is going to take place on December 24th at the holiday party. And that's where the big showdown is going to take place, which also confirms for me that we are going to see Clint Barton get home by Christmas like he promised. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think it would be really terrible if Disney tries to kill him off or tries to make it so that he doesn't actually get home by Christmas. I think he will make it uh, given that we see this invitation being set for December 24th and everything else that we've seen. I think that's what's going to happen here. So I'm really excited about that. And then later on, we saw Kate deciding to be stubborn and that she's not just going to walk away from Clint. So she leaves him a bunch of voicemails that are very funny, hilarious, persistent, shows that she's dedicated. And I love the fact that they threw in the little coin flip there and how she's still practicing that and using that. So I love that part. Then later on in the episode, we see the fight between Maya and Ronan. And I got to say, I was still questioning if there was another Ronan around and that Clint was not the Ronan that hit up the auto car dealership where Maya's father was killed. Even though we saw Clint get the suit from the locker and we know he was heading there. And part of me thought that maybe the other Ronan got there before he did. But then he pulled off his mask and it's sure enough, it's him. But we do get a little bit of insight of what happened with him taking out the tracksuit mafia where Maya's father was at and that he shared that he was being used as a weapon just like Maya is because they're both filled with rage from what happened to them. And so I talked about this in previous episodes about how they're going to resolve Clint's past with killing Maya's father. And I remember saying that it was going to be very difficult for them to do. And I think they're actually on the right track here because even though Clint did that, It seems like he is appeasing to Maya and that he is helping Maya kind of see the bigger picture and start questioning a lot of things after that. And so I don't think she's going to easily forgive Clint for that. But I think we're on the road to see that she's not going to be going after him to kill him anymore by the end of episode six. And then later on, when Kate helps Clint out and they're running away from the auto car dealership, I love the scene where Clint's like, well, do you have an escape plan? And of course, Kate being 22 years old, her escape plan was to call for an Uber or Lyft and to get in the car. And I love this scene because there's been multiple times where we've seen Clint get really surprised by how Kate resolves things because it's very much a generational gap, right? Like Clint's always thinking about, you know, trying to be a little bit more inconspicuous and being more stealthy because he's been a spy and is always thinking about how to do the exit plans or how to approach things in a spy manner. And Kate's approach is just a little bit more direct. So like in episode four, we see that instead of them trying to figure out how to break into the apartment, she just walks straight up and helps an older gentleman get into the apartment building. And then that's how she gets in and then we see her calling a lift just to escape and he just looks very surprised and I think it's because he is really shocked that these things are working just as well <laughs> as if he was being an Avenger at this point right and so I thought it was really funny how they're showing a little bit of a generational gap but they're both very effective ways as well too I also love the scene with Clint being in front of the Avengers Memorial for a number of reasons. One, again, they did a great job of Clint pulling out his hearing aid and mimicking that sound. 
Um, but it's a great way to show that in New York City, with all the sound and all of the energy and the busyness that happens, for him to take the hearing aid out allows us to have a private moment in such a public space in front of the Avengers Memorial. And, and I got to share this, and it's a little bit off track, but I do want to share that me personally, growing up, I was a junior when 9-11 happened. And I remember I was in New York about a month before that happened. I flew out there and flew back, and that was a month before 9-11. And I remember how busy and how noisy New York City is. And then after 9-11, I went back six months later, and we went to Ground Zero, the site where the planes hit. And in the same city where it's very busy, when you went to that memorial, it was silent. And I'm not comparing the two by any means whatsoever, but I thought it was really interesting how they captured a very private, sincere, silent moment in a very public, open, noisy place by being able to include this little detail of pulling out the hearing aid and replicating that. And then again, they brought in the music from Vormir to connect you to Nat's sacrifice. And then I did see a van in the background when Clint was talking. And I can't tell because it's blurred out a little bit, but almost looks like a very suspicious van, like someone would rent out to do some private eye investigative work. But part of me wonders if we're actually going to see Elena in the next episode, that she was the person in that white van and that she was actually listening in on Clint's conversation. And that was another reason why she decided to look into who hired her in addition to Kate suggesting that to her as well, too. And last but not least, he tells Nat that he's really sorry about what he's about to do. And I wonder if he's talking about putting on the Ronin suit because it was clear that he wasn't going out to kill anybody in the Traction Mafia or Maya. But maybe they had a promise or there was an agreement that when Nat helped him get his family back from the Endgame movie, that he wasn't going to put on the Ronin suit anymore. And so I wonder if that's what he's referring to here. And I, th- I don't think we'll get a full confirmation on that by the end of the series, but I think that's probably what it's alluding to. So... All right. So those are some of the highlights I want to talk about. Let's kind of do a breakdown real quick of some of the characters in this show and what we know and some of the updates that we've seen since episode four. So so the first person I'm going to talk about is Elena, because we've all been really excited about having her on the show. We got a glimpse of her in episode four. We see a lot more of her in episode five. And in the opening scene, we get a little backstory about what happened to Elena during the blip. And we find out that She, in fact, was blipped. And if you recall from the last episode, I talked about how the series follows a pattern where episode one, episode three always tends to start with a origin story or background story. So episode one was about Kate, and that's what it opened with. Episode three opened up with Maya's background story. And episodes two and four pretty much just took place right after the previous episode. So the last podcast review that I did, I asked, are we going to get another origin story or background story? And sure enough, we did with Elena here. And I think that episode six, it's just going to go straight into the action that we left off from the previous, from this episode, basically. So um, anyway, so opening scene, we get a lot of callbacks from Black Widow where we hear clips of Elena talking about the chemical substances that was used to control the Black Widow. We hear the whistling that her and Nat used, things like that. So there's a lot of nice, simple ways to connect back to saying that we are picking up from what happened in Black Widow. What I thought was also really interesting about this scene 
is that when Yelena and the two other women in the scene, they're sitting down talking, having tea after they just try to kill <laughs> one of them. Um, they're talking about that Yelena and Natasha can go and live their sex in the city life in New York. And so I thought it was really fascinating because when that happened, it tells us a couple things. One, they had a plan to go to New York, but that obviously upset Yelena. And I wonder if it's because she hadn't heard from Natasha for a while that she thought that they were going to be sisters again and they had never really reconnected since the events of Black Widow. It was really interesting to see that part. And then after she got blipped and she comes back and realized what happened and she was talking to Anna about all this. Then she, the first thing she said is, I need to go talk to Natasha. I need to tell her that I'm okay. And so it shows that she still has that love for her sister and that she was really concerned and thought that her sister was, you know, really worried about her for the last five years. And it's just heartbreaking to know, like, what happened and that Yelena's going to have to find out that she died as part of the events of Endgame. What's also interesting about Yelena is that when Kate and Clint start talking about Kate talking to Yelena and finding out that she's Nat's sister, Clint looked at her because Kate hadn't said her name yet, but Clint looked at her and said, Yelena. And so what's interesting is that he knows of her, but didn't must not recognize her on the rooftop at all. So this makes me think that Clint knew of her and that Natasha talked to Clint about her multiple times, but had never really seen her either. So they must have not have any sort of interaction before this point. And that's why, you know, they can't just sit down and talk about, you know, what happened to Nat because they never actually met each other. They just knew of each other. And then what's also interesting is that we know Clint still believes he's responsible for Natasha's death. We know that Natasha saved the world because as the audience member, we saw what happened. Right. And so it makes us wonder what exactly does Elena think happened on Vormir? Is he being directed in the same way that Maya is? Because one of the overarching themes that we've seen here in this episode, when Clint talks to Maya and the things that we're seeing happening with Elena is that the big theme is rage is blinding you as if you're a weapon, right? So we know that Clint still feels responsible for Natasha's death, and we know that Natasha sacrificed herself to save the world. So it makes us wonder, what exactly does Yelena think happened on Vormir that she blames Clint for this, right? And it makes me think that because of the scene that we had in this episode where Clint talks to Maya about how they're both weapons, and when they're both filled with rage, it makes you blind, and that anyone can use you to be to manipulate you and to be a weapon for them. I think the same thing is happening with Yelena here as well, too, because all she knows is that she lost her sister and she's very upset and she's being manipulated either by Val or someone higher up to get her to kill Clint. And so I think that's what's happening. But we're seeing that break down a little bit by the end of the episode when she decides to go and check in and see who actually hired her to kill Clint. So I think that's what's going on and that I think at some point. Yelena is going to figure out or find out what really happened and is not going to go after Clint after that. So that's a little bit about Yelena. So let's talk about Kazi real quick. And there's not a whole lot to say about him, except for the fact that I believe in the previous episode, um, either episode four, or episode three, I talked about how it was really suspicious that Kazi wasn't there the night that Maya's father was killed because Kazi, as we found out in episode three, was Maya Lopez's father's second in command while he was alive. So it makes you wonder why wasn't he at the same place that her father was that night. And so when Maya talked to Clint and Clint informed her that he was tipped off by her boss 
to go and take out the tracksuit mafia and makes her question about the whole events of what happened that day. And she remembered that Kazi wasn't there. <laughs> and so she starts questioning him and saying, why weren't you there? And Kazi was clearly uncomfortable with that situation. So I just got to say, I called it right there, right? I knew that Kazi was going to have some sort of role in that part. And that's exactly what happened. So and putting this episode in perspective also made sense why Kazi didn't want Maya to go after Ronan because he didn't want her to find out that he was the one that tipped off the big guy, uncle, that then tipped off Ronan to kill her father and that she was going to blame him for her father's death as well and wants to pretty much stay alive, right? <laughs> but then this seems to change with Kazi's attitude towards it, when Maya starts talking about how Yelena's on top of the roof, then all of a sudden, now he wants to go and kill Ronan. And I think it's because he realizes that they're getting really close to this situation. So now he's no longer in control of being able to pull her away from the situation. So he's all in about getting rid of Ronan. So that way she never finds out. But here's a part that is still a little bit unclear, though. In episode four, we see Clint and Kazi talk in Kazi's SUV, and it seemed like they didn't know each other. The way that Clint talks and Kazi talked to him, it seems like they didn't know each other before the series of events. Is that still the case, though? Because like Clint told Maya, he was informed by uncle slash big guy about the Traction Mafia and that the informant told him. And so did Clint not know who the informant was? Did Clint get his direction from the big guy himself and that he just knew of the informant, but didn't know who he was. It, it's, it's really interesting to see that Clint knows all these details, but he didn't know who the actual informant was, you know? So I think it was also interesting and Clint must know this now, but he knows that Kazi was William Lopez's second command, but he wasn't there that night. He must've figured out that he was the informant, but he didn't bring that up for whatever reason. Right. Or we know why, because he didn't want Kazi to know that he was Ronan. So, um, so again, it's just little clues that, you know, Clint Polly knows a lot more than what we realize with all these loose ends out there. Okay, so let's switch over to Eleanor Bishop. So from the beginning, I think everybody knew that she was being really suspicious for a number of reasons. And episode five, by the end, pretty much confirms that, right? What we see in this episode is that Kate tells Eleanor that she and Clint been investigating Jack for Armand's death. So Eleanor says she'll look into it. And then she says, turns out you're right. And then she turns Jack in for that. Now, what's really interesting is that before, whenever Kate brings up Jack, she just dismissed it. And I think, you know, for a couple of reasons, one, Elnor knows about that, whether she's the one that set that up or she's making Jack become the fall guy, which, again, I'm not quite sure Jack is completely innocent on this. I think he is a very innocent looking guy and acts very innocent. And I think he is to a certain extent, but I don't think he's totally innocent. Parmy thinks that he kind of knows a little bit about what's going on and that he will either be guilty on some level or is completely deceiving all of us and actually knows a lot more, even more than Eleanor. So, but we'll see. I mean, I, I could be completely wrong. And I think with one episode left, I think that'll be way too much for them to try to explore and explain um, unless they do like an end credit scene and Jack becomes a, you know, a villain later on in a different series or movie or something like that. So we'll see what happens. But this was a really good way for Eleanor to throw Kate off because again, 
Remember that previously, anytime she brought him up, Eleanor would just dismiss her or try to change the subject. And so I think she realizes that when they were both looking into Armand's murder and think that Jack's involved, that she just wanted to go ahead. And because Kate pretty much said we've been looking into Jack, she took that opportunity to go ahead and have him be the fall guy. That way, Kate would stop looking into it and won't find out the truth about Eleanor being a big bad villain or criminal boss, right? So by the end of this episode, we realize that, to no one's surprise, Eleanor is villainous or at least not as innocent as he seems. He's definitely villainous or at least at minimum involved with criminal activity, right? And I think what may have happened here is that Eleanor is definitely involved with criminal activity. And I think she's probably either working with or working for Kingpin. But probably what happened was that in 2012, when Derek was killed, and we remember that they had financial issues. Kingpin probably saw that as an opportunity because maybe they were just starting out the security firm or security company that they had. And Kingpin saw that it was going to be a really good company to take control of. And so he offered to pay off their loans or their debts or anything like that and just kind of take care of them under the table in return that Eleanor does what he wants, basically, because that's how Kingpin operates, right? And so that's probably what's happening here is that she might not be as big of a villain as we think she is, but she's definitely involved with the criminal activity and she might be manipulated by Kingpin himself, especially since we, we know that this is happening with Maya, this happened with Clint, and this is probably happening with Elena as well, too. Last thing about Eleanor Bishop is I think they might be setting her up if they are going to make her a bigger villain than what I'm thinking right now is that they're going to set her up to be Madame Mask and that Kate and Eleanor are going to be enemies after this show. So if they do make her a bigger villain, I wouldn't be surprised if they also set her up to be Madame Mask um, as a continuing villain throughout the MCU. And last but not least, the character we've all been waiting for, Kingpin Wilson Fisk, finally shows up in the series and we get confirmation that Kingpin is back in the MCU and being played by none other than Vincent D'Onofrio himself. And if you're still questioning this, if it's Vincent D'Onofrio, because that picture that we see in Kate's phone is very blurry and is not very confirming of if that person is being played by Vincent D'Onofrio or not. Go look at the end credit scene and you'll see that Vincent D'Onofrio's name comes up in the credits. And so we know it's him. And what I thought was really interesting about this, and this is more of a commentary about how Hollywood is set up here, is that Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't say anything this episode, doesn't show up until like the last five seconds. Even then, it's like a very blurred image and you can't really tell it's him. His name gets precedence over Alakwa Cox, who plays Maya Lopez and has been in the series for the past Four episodes, right? She wasn't the first one, but she was in the series from episode two on. And so I thought it was really interesting that he was in there before her. I would have thought that maybe they would have just ended it with, you know, like kind of like a special credit at the end to say, and Vincent D'Onofrio, like how you see some of the more seasoned legendary actors show up in the credits and everything like that. So I thought it was interesting that they put his name in there first before Alakwa Cox. So I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I understand why they do that because it's always, you know, a little bit about the money and a little bit about the ego and stuff like that, but it doesn't really sit well with me initially. So I'll have to think about that a little bit more, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So Anyways, so what we know about Kingpin so far is that he is definitely a big guy. He is definitely uncle. He is definitely the man in a black suit that we saw in episode three that helped raise Maya. And we also know that Clint worked for him as a hired sword, which this is interesting because Clint said that he only went after the bad guys when he was Ronan, right? 
but somehow he didn't know that Kingpin was a criminal boss. Like that part seemed really weird. Unless you think about the fact that Clint was probably manipulated to think that Kingpin wasn't a criminal boss, that maybe, yes, he was in charge of them, but then he found out that, you know, they're doing illegal activity and that he wants to clean house for whatever reason. And so maybe at the time, Clint didn't think that he was a criminal boss, but then he found out later that it was him being a bad guy and that instead of trying to take him out, he decided to get away because, again, this whole series, Clint's telling us how he is really worried that the big guy is involved, right? So that tells us that Clint is at least concerned or afraid of Kingpin at some level from that. And so I wonder if that's what happened here is that he was manipulated by Kingpin to think that he wasn't really a bad guy here. This also tells us that Kingpin didn't blip because this all happened while Ronan was in play and that Kingpin was in charge of Attraction Mafia. So we know that Wilson Fisk, being the villain he is and being that really coy guy, of course he didn't get blipped, right? Like he is the kind of stubborn person that would just refuse to be blipped. Like if there was anybody who could just say like, no, I'm not being blipped, it would be Kingpin, right? Like he would be one of those people who's like, yeah, I don't care what you're doing, Thanos. I'm not getting blipped at all. So... Um, so this must be the time where he tried to consolidate criminal power in New York, or maybe this is his beginning when all that happened. That might be his origin story of how he got into the criminal world in New York City. I don't know. It'd be really interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle this with the character of Kingpin from the Netflix show. Is it going to be the same character? Are the stories going to align or is this going to be a reboot? Me personally, I'll say this. I hope it's a reboot because I think there's going to be a lot of things that you can't really line up with 100% that's going to be a little bit off from the show. Even though there's not a whole lot of overlap, I think it'll be really hard to bring some of that stuff in from the show and try to explain that and the larger story of the MCU, especially with the Daredevil series and all the Marvel Netflix series being such a darker tone, which I personally love, but in order to tell that story in the MCU, it can be a little weird in my opinion. So the other reason why I hope they really reboot the character is because as much as I love Vincent D'Onofrio as a character, the one criticism I have is I just could not stand the raspiness of his voice as Wilson Fisk. But I'll say this, even though I can't stand that part, I still think he is Kingpin, that he did a phenomenal job. And it's hard to see Anyone with the exception of Michael Duncan Clark, who played Kingpin in the Daredevil movie that came out in 2003, I believe, or 2001. Um, I thought he did a great job as Kingpin as well, too. So those two did a phenomenal job. And it's just hard to see anybody else playing Kingpin. So even though I hated the voice he used in the Netflix series, I still want him to be Kingpin. And I just really hope that he does something a little bit different with his voice. But even if he doesn't, it's going to be great because it's him, right? It's it's Wilson Fisk. It's Kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio back in the MCU, which is what we've all been waiting for. We also know that we're getting confirmation. He is responsible for killing Maya's father, which is very accurate from the comic books where Kingpin tells Maya that Daredevil killed her father, and then she finds out the truth, and then she goes after Kingpin. So that's what we're going to see in episode six, is that Maya's going to realize this, and then she's going to start turning on Kingpin, and it's going to become a anti-hero at first, probably, but then by the time we get to the Echo series, we're probably going to see her become a hero as well, too. And the last thing I want to say about Kingpin is, in every episode of the Hawkeye series, it ends the credits with some sort of animation from artwork that's, again, inspired by the 
Fraction, Aha, Hollingsworth, Run, but every episode does something a little bit different. And in this episode, what I loved about this is that it ends with the song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. And by the time we get to the end of the song and you get to the end where you usually see Kate and Clint standing on top of the rooftops and you see the skyline in New York City, this time it is an outline of Wilson Fisk kingpin behind New York City and it gives an ominous tone and that just sets up how serious this whole situation just got. So I love how they handle kingpin. I think this was just fantastic. All right, so before I get to my thoughts, questions, and theories, I do want to give a couple shout-outs. First of all, I want to give a shout-out to Cody White and Mayor Shibley from Comic Watch, my friends who I work with and doing reviews um, for that website. We've been having conversations about Hawkeye, and it's been just great to have those conversations and kind of bantering with them a little bit. So I really appreciate them talking to me about the show. Um, Ellie from the Oshu podcast responded on Instagram when I asked about how people felt about episode five and Ellie's been on our show as well too. So I really love having Ellie on the show and talking to us about all things Marvel. She said, I was yelling fist confirmed Yelena pre post blip her chat with Kate loved it. And yes, I think everybody loved everything about that episode as well too. So I agree wholeheartedly. I probably wasn't yelling, but I remember gasping and I was just like, yes, like that was such a great way how they revealed Fisk, Right. And I just loved it. And even though we knew it was coming, I'm just glad that we didn't get ruined like some of the other movies that we've seen in the MCU the past couple months by not knowing how they're going to introduce Fist. They dropped a lot of hints and a lot of Easter eggs, and I love that. And it kept you guessing because of everything else that they've done in the Marvel series. But this was such a great way for them to reveal, and I love being able to see that fresh without anything spoiled. So I love that, and I agree with you, Ellie. And then the last shout out here is Lauren from Twitter at friendly N B H D by B I on Twitter said, rad to see how they're bringing other characters in. Love that connection with Eleanor. That got me considering how Kate was like, Oh my God, mom, I'm so sorry. I was right about Jack. And yes, that's pretty much kind of a knife to the back where Kate's going to feel like she's being manipulated as well, too. This is a theme of episode five, right? Is this manipulation? How everybody's getting manipulated. And so we're going to see all the people who've been manipulated pretty much turn against the people that's doing the manipulating in episode six. And so, yes, I agree with this wholeheartedly. So I love this. This is great. Okay. So my final thoughts, questions, theories I have. So for the next episode, there's still a lot of things for the previews that we haven't seen that's probably going to show up in episode six, right? So for example, we saw a scene where Clint's creating trick arrows with the Stark tech, and we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen Kate and Clint walk up to the gala of the holiday party, which we're going to see that because we know that they're going to the holiday party for the episode six. We haven't seen the fight on Rockefeller Center skating rink, which now it makes sense because the invitation said it was going to be at the Rockefeller Center. So this is where it's going to take place. And so there's a lot of scenes we haven't seen yet that we're probably going to see here. And I don't think they're going to throw this off like they've done with some of the other trailers, other previews. But now we're going to see all these things are part of that final battle for the Hawkeye show. So let's talk about the watch a little bit, what we know. So we know that the watch can be tracked, but it makes me question, is that the only significance it has? Or is there more to the watch that we haven't seen yet? And I'm wondering if this is going to be tied to Clint's time as Ronan. But instead of it being tied to Clint and Laura, this is actually tied to Clint and Fisk. And maybe somehow the watch had to be recovered because again, this was recovered at the Avengers compound with the Ronin suit. And it makes me think that that's part of the package basically. And that this is actually tied to 
maybe some arrangement that Fisk had with Clint and that if somebody got the watch, it could reveal a lot more that Clint didn't want to get out there, but it has more to do with Fisk than does his family. So I think they're going to resolve that in episode six. We'll see what they say about that. Going back to what we saw in episode two, we know that the Avengers Tower was sold and there's been a lot of speculation that Tony probably sold it to either Kingpin or Baxter, which is the name of the building that the Fantastic Four stays in, right? My question is, Tony does a lot of research on people. And so I don't think he would have sold it to Kingpin, right? Because he probably would have found out that Kingpin is a criminal boss and they probably wouldn't have done that. But at the same time, we know that Kingpin is really good at manipulating people. And we may not have seen him at the height of the criminal underworld when Tony sold his tower. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I, I'm not 100% sold that it was sold to Kingpin, but we'll see how they explain that. So I, and I think if they are going to explain why Tony was sold it to somebody who is a criminal boss, that again, Kingpin has been able to manip- has been able to manipulate a lot of people. And this is just, Tony is just another person that he was able to manipulate, right? We also have to see a lot of fallout from this as well, too. For example, while Kate and Eleanor no longer talk to each other, when Kate confronts her mom and says, why did you try to hire an assassin to kill my hero, right? And again, is Eleanor going to become Madame Mask? I think we're going to see a lot of fallout in the next episode and that it's going to pretty much create a path for everybody involved, for Maya, for Kate, for Yelena, and then I think finally for Clint as well, too. I think that Elaine is going to fight with them, especially given the theme about people being used as weapons and being manipulated. So I wouldn't be surprised with that as well as that we see Maya and Elena teaming up with Clint and Kate to fight off Fisk, Eleanor, the Traction Mafia and whoever else they get involved here. Right. And I think we're going to see Elena actually break off from Val because I don't think Elena was part of the Thunderbolts. I could be wrong about that. But I think this is how we see her take on the mantle of Black Widow and be a hero in this instance. And last but not least... Is Clint going to stay alive? I'm going to say yes, again, for a number of reasons. One, you know, probably one of the biggest <laughs> drivers of why Disney will do anything is they want to keep that reputation. They're not going to kill off a father right before Christmas. That'll be devastating. It'll quickly become one of the most loved shows to one of the most hated shows if they did that. So I think they are going to keep Clint alive. I think they're going to have the big showdown on December 24th. And then we're going to see Clint make it home in time for Christmas on December 25th. Might even bring Kate and Pizza Dog with him as well, too, because I think there's a scene with Pizza Dog that we haven't seen yet. And I'm wondering if we see him at the Barton's residence for that. So we'll see. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts and review for Hawkeye episode five Ronan. You can also find my review of this episode for comic watch, which I'll put in the link in the show notes below. So if you have anything that you want to share with me about this, feel free to hit me up on Twitter under the username at the Sean Hulk, T H E S E A N H U L K. Or you can contact me through our podcast, social media handles as well, whichever is best for you. We'd love to hear from all of you. And that wraps up another review episode of The Caps in Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on social media under the username at Caps in Life. If you like what we're doing, give us a shout out and tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 